Hot diggity dog, the Buckeyes won the Rose Bowl, and man, was it one for the ages. Welcome back to the 11 Dubcast. I'm Andy Vance, along with my partner in crime, Johnny Genner. Johnny, you took a, a little walk through memory lane after the Rose Bowl to look at the Buckeyes. Now, I believe nine victories in the granddaddy of them all over yep. history. Uh, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to talk about how great the 69 win was, although anytime you beat USC, because those sons of bucks have won it about 411 times in the bowls history hard for me not having lived through that game to compare but for my money man this win over utah was sure as heck satisfying i guess maybe particularly because of how things went early on but give me your instant reaction uh, how you were feeling watching the game when it was all said and done with were you as man this was an all-timer feeling as i was yeah, because they won. And like, yeah, but no, <laughs> you know, but seriously. I got to love the honesty and transparency. It would not have been one of my favorites if they lost. I guess yeah, that's true. <laughs> but here's the thing, though. Like, all right. So let's say Ohio State comes into this game and just blows the actual, like the absolute barn doors off of Utah and they win 48 to 10 or something. I don't think anybody says that was an incredible Rose Bowl win or they're really excited about it. I mean, they, they probably look at this the same way they look at the Rose Bowl win against Washington which nobody remembers actually happened uh but did just a few scant years ago and this was an incredible game because of Ohio State not being a dominant team right this was an incredible game because Ohio State has some very clear deficiencies on defense they had to somehow fight back uh I think 14 point deficits at least twice maybe three times uh to win this game and like it wasn't, it was probably of the Rose Bowls that I have seen in my life. And that includes the 97 Rose Bowl and all this other stuff. It was the most entertaining, best one that I've seen. And I think aside from the ones that actually decided Ohio State is a national champion, probably the best one that Ohio State has actually played in period. And frankly, in terms of excitement level, I, I mean, I, I don't think anything matches it so far in this year's bowl season, maybe going back several years. But it's because Ohio State has a trash defense and had to fight back with some mind-bendingly, historically relevant performances from C.J. Stroud and, of course, Jackson Smith and Jigba. So without that, I mean, you know, obviously Ohio State loses, but it doesn't have the same kind of cachet and, and the same kind of juice that it does because my jaw was on the floor at the end of the game, and I did not think Ohio State was going to win. Um, I thought they like when they got that first kind of stop or at least held Utah to three points in the third quarter, I was like, okay, well, maybe this happens. Um, but having it play out the way it did towards the end, just, I, I did not see it happening. And, and even, even with, even with CJ Stroud turning in this otherworldly performance where he's just dropping, you know, he's dropping these passes in a, a tiny little bucket from 40 yards away and doing it like four and five times in a row, just unbelievable from him. And then of course, you know, JSN, what, 300 plus yard, like it just bonkers. Everything about it was bonkers and it was fun as hell to watch. Give friends the roadmap for how this is going to go tonight. We're going to walk through both uh, the, the offensive and defensive performances and, and break each down 
Uh, we'll also talk a bit about some of the, the superlatives from this game, the many records that were broken. We're going to take a little foray after our discussion of the Rose Bowl to pick up uh, Buckeye basketball. Now that that's back in action, and then we're going to finish up talking about coaching news and where this program goes in terms of some of the changes that are, are that we know about and ones that maybe are happening behind the scenes we don't know about. Uh, but I want to start before we get into breaking down offense and defense and kind of individual performances with how this game fits into the big picture of what this season means in the grand scheme of college football and, and how it sets the tone or not for next season in terms of the all important narrative. When you look at this game and everything you just said, I, I agree with in terms of, you know, what, why it was so entertaining and, and whatnot. The other thing I thought about, as you were mentioning you know, the, the lack of defensive prowess from the Buckeyes and this kind of shootout mentality. And the fact you had 28 points scored in a 60 second period there in the oh my second quarter between the two teams, which was just absolute insanity. But I, I think part of the reason this game was so exciting and fun and drew a lot of attention nationally was because the two playoff games we watched were such snooze fests. Is, is, oh, is yeah, that a fair course, read? Yeah. I mean, you know, Michigan yeah. getting pantsed by Georgia, <laughs> not entertaining. Uh, I mean, it was for us for obvious partisan reasons. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I enjoyed yeah, Like, right. in the grand scheme of things, if I'm a random, let's say, Kansas State fan just tuning in to watch, mm-hmm. uh, you know, football in the week between Christmas and New Year's, I, I don't know that I got any, you know, jollies out of that game just as a, no. a fan and bystander. If I'm watching the Ohio State-Utah game as a rando on Saturday at, at evening, yeah, there was a lot of juice for your money in that one, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you're massively entertained by Ohio State-Utah versus the ostensibly more important games. And, and yes, they are more important, but they weren't, <clears throat> they weren't interesting. Um, they, you know, a lot of these games, not a lot. I mean, both of the games, I don't think anybody seriously felt that Cincinnati had a shot against Alabama after that, especially like after the first quarter. I mean, you, you could kind of see what the disparity was and <clears throat> you know, how it was going to play out. And then with Georgia, Michigan, I mean, Michigan just absolute inability to get anything done on offense uh, just pretty much ended the game right there for them. I, I thought they would put up at least a little bit more of a fight than that. I thought they would probably break some things in the running game a little bit, but that just that did not happen. And then their defensive line was pretty ineffectual all game. So <clears throat> that was, you know, I agree. <laughs> I agree with you. I think if you're like a casual fan, you don't really have a, a rooting interest in any of these teams. The, the Rose Bowl was the biggest bang for your buck. And I'm glad that you mentioned that ridiculous scoring output in the second quarter. I, I've never seen anything like that in, in college football. I, I really haven't. I mean, I know there's been instances where teams, you know, one team will just dominate, right? They'll, they'll score a long touchdown after a long touchdown. But it's like, usually you'll see something where it's like, okay, it's a big bomb. And then they kick off and then it's a three and out from the other team and they, they punt and then the other team scores immediately. And it's just kind of a one-sided dominance. This was like Rocky four where they're just throwing haymakers at each other and there's nobody trying to like evade a punch or block a punch or anything like that, or duck a punch. It's just these two monster guys throwing haymakers at each other and landing all of them. (laughs) And it was hilarious. It was like, and, and literally what a two and a half minute time span you had a 50 yard pass from stroud a 97 yard kickoff return another 50 plus yard from pass from stroud a 62 yard quarterback rush where he should have been down after like two yards and he spins out of it and runs for a td it was just an absolute 
complete bonkers insanity. And that was probably the point in the game where I was like, you know what? If Ohio State loses this thing, I'm going to be pretty annoyed. But if the rest of the game's like this, I'll at least got my money's worth, right? Like for an exhibition game that I've been kind of trashing and saying doesn't mean anything, eh, I got what I wanted. That that that's that's entertainment, and I'll, I'll take that. Now I, I, we're not going to because you and I have spent literally weeks debating the relative value or or importance of the Rose Bowl and uh, the opt out situations and, and so on. So we're not going to relitigate that. I will say, yeah. however, I do think that uh, the Lathan Ransom injury as as an example uh, uh, from yeah. this game not i mean not to mention uh rising quarterback for utah you know he he went out pretty hard and i'll you know seem like that's probably just a concussion or i say just but not a season ending type injury uh but but the number of guys that got banged up in that game let alone the other games that were played that same weekend <sighs> you know i think really does um put credence to the argument that Hey, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson. Yeah. Uh, th- those guys were absolutely justified in not playing this, this football game. Yeah, and Ransom I think broke probably, his leg. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, tell me what that does for your draft stock. If you're Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So, I mean, that's millions of dollars that, that and Lathan Ransom, you know, can rehab and come back and that's great. But if it's exactly, if you're Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, that's millions that you would lose because of something yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> and so not we're, just to we're... say the general danger of the game and, you know, in general, like, you know, rising is knocked cold. I mean, the dude is out at the end of that game uh, and just what looks like a relatively routine kind of sack. It's, it wasn't like a huge hit or anything that he's done. And that's a huge, you know, worry about concussions and things like that. I mean, it's a dangerous game, man. So yeah, I agree. Looking at the uh, national picture again for just a minute to to look at kind of what this game does for how we finish up this season and how things set up for next season. So we're going to have Alabama versus Georgia, woo-woo, uh, Monday night in the college football playoff national championship. I know that's a game we're all eager to watch for like the 700th time in the last few years. Um but I'm, I'm wondering, so if you count those guys as one and two, uh, you say mm. Alabama, Georgia, I fully expect Alabama to win. Well, maybe Georgia will surprise me. Uh, is Ohio State the third best team in the country? Or, uh, you know, because I'm looking and saying the voters are going to devalue Cincinnati because they put oh, Cincinnati sure. in under duress. Uh, they put Cincinnati in because they felt they had to. And then, you know, for, for all the nattering nabobs of negativity out there, that game, you know, is quote unquote proof that Cincinnati didn't belong. I saw any number of people on my social feed saying that. Uh, and then I watched that Michigan Georgia game and I'm going to, and, and I wanted to respond. And a lot of people did, uh, did Michigan look like it belonged any more than Cincinnati did? I mean, yeah, exactly. I, I thought Cincinnati acquitted itself fine. They certainly did as well. They did as well as Notre Dame's done in its playoff. Appearances. They did <laughs> or as well Oklahoma. as Michigan's. Yeah, absolutely. Cincinnati to me looked like it belonged just the same as any of the other people that Alabama's beat the Holy living Dickens out in recent right. years, or even Ohio state, like not against necessarily Alabama. Well, I guess against last Alabama, season. But... I mean, we talked about that last season, right? It yeah, wasn't like, but... it wasn't like Ohio state held them to a field goal. Yeah. And Ohio state's been shut out in the, in the playoffs before, right? Like they, they've looked terrible in some of these games. So, I mean, it's, I agree. I, I think they did as well as pretty much any other team might've. Um, and uh, the thing about Cincinnati though, is that they're, you know, they're going to be 
be losing so much and it's going to be very difficult for them to replicate what they did this season. Um, <clears throat> but I agree with you. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's just kind of the nature of the BCS and what it's been or not the BCS, the playoff. <laughs> well, well, it's funny because I mean, I've been watching a lot of people having this argument and, and the argument I saw advance and I did not go to check this out. So I'm, you know, this is just one of those things that I saw on Twitter and I'm parroting mindlessly, I suppose. So shame on me. Hmm. But that under the old BCS formula, Alabama, Michigan would have been the, the, the national championship game. Um, <laughs> Terrible. You know, so, right. So when you said the BCS is a Freudian slip, eh, you know, I, right. I, you know, new uh, uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, I, I, <laughs> right. I, I guess, in, in a very real sense. So let's go back to that question, setting this up for 2022 in, in nine months when Ohio State takes the field versus Notre Dame. Where do you think they're ranked in the way too early uh, preseason rankings? I, I mean, I think that's that's a hard one because, I, I mean, anybody who watches or has watched Ohio State this season knows what their, their biggest problem is. I mean, yes, you're bringing in a defensive coordinator who's very good. And, yes, you still have a lot of really good talent, and especially some really great talent coming in. But I don't know. I If I'm a voter, I got to – I gotta see it before i believe it and i would probably still have ohio state maybe in like i don't know between seven and ten something like that oh wow yeah i seriously because again as as amazing as cj stroud is and as incredible as the wide receiver core is going to be their defense look if they had even a mediocre defense right if they had given up half the point i mean this is a complete blowout but they don't have a mediocre defense. They don't have a bad defense. They have a very bad defense. And <laughs> that's as good as that offense can be. All it takes is one injury, right? And then if CJ Stroud's down, if he has to go out, you know, if he hurts his shoulder again or something like that, I mean, you're looking at a completely different team. Um, so I, like I said, I think it's, I think it's a team that really has to prove something next season. Um, to for me at least to be convinced that they're like a top five kind of team because yeah. again defense is terrible it's now, terrible. No, no let's so let, that, let's use that as the segue into analyzing the defense's performance in this game because i i, I think the second half of the rose bowl game uh, would be my counter argument to you that they should be seven to ten i mean i'm i'm sitting here thinking oh well i'll probably put them three or four if i were a voter based on one best offense in the country and and two uh because i don't think there's a significant drop off i mean my god we took two first rounders out of the equation in olave and wilson and ohio state's offense didn't miss a beat i mean if anything you know, they had one of their best performances of the entire season. We're going to talk about the offense in a moment, but I want to, I want to focus on the defense. The fact that that defense, after coughing up 35 points and 326 yards in the first half, held Utah, a, a pretty potent Utah rushing attack, uh, to like 139 yards and 10 points in the second half, gives me pause to think, hey, you know, with a semi-competent <laughs> defensive coordinator in a full offseason, Maybe there's enough pieces and parts here that they can become a functional, if not exceptional. Maybe they're not going to become an exceptional. We're not going to go 85 bears in nine mm. months. But as as you said, this game was a blowout with even a mediocre defense. So I, so I guess my my question to you is, did that second half 
show that Jim Knowles has, because the first half I'm seeing people tweet, God, Knowles is renegotiating his contract at halftime, <laughs> or, you know, he's, he's exercising his uh, right to cancel clause in the, in, in, in the locker room kind of deal right. uh, the, in the second half though, you know, I'm looking at saying, Hey, you know what? They, they got the thing turned around and Demario McCall got him fired up and ready to roll. I, you know, what, what's to say that Knowles can't come in and with uh, enough time put together a defense that, that looks like a defense that can get a team to the promised land. I think he can. I just want to see it. I, I want to, you know, I, I want to actually see it in action before I'll give them credit for that happening. You're just not because, willing to bet on the come, in other words. No, because I mean, the thing is, is that if this were, here's the thing. Okay. If this were an Ohio state team with a mediocre defense and a lot of talent that just seemed kind of out of sorts, that'd be one thing. And I go, okay, well, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to say, Jim Knowles is going to roll in here and make things look really good and blah, blah, blah. But this is a terrible defense. And there's a lot of work that has to be done. I think it's possible. I think the, um, I think that the players on the team can be very good, but when you're plugging in a former tight end, you know, to, you know, to try to make plays and he had a good game. Stover will look good. It was, I'm glad that it worked out, but you got a tight end in there making plays. You got a former running back at linebacker and he's one of your most functional guys on D like that's, that tells me that you have more endemic issues than guys just need to be coached up better. You, you've got to figure something out more systemically. And, um, you know, hopefully the personnel is coming in can make a difference in terms of that. But I just think there are bigger issues than like, okay, we have a better coach now. So Ohio state will have a good defense and it's going to take an entire off season to fix. Um, and I, I want to see it actually in action before, like I said, I give them any kind of credit for, for being back because the elements are there, but it, it's going to be harder than just, okay, this guy teaches better, or he's got a smarter scheme or something like that. Yeah. It comes back to the, 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 the pieces of the puzzle, talent scheme execution, which I'm tying in with, with the teaching coaching, uh, you know, one of the things that I saw in that game, and it's been a frustration all season. Ohio State's really got to get back to fundamentals on tackling. There were just mm -hmm. some really abysmal uh, missed tackles, whiffs on tackles, arm tackles, uh, yep. guys tackling too high, guys trying to tackle, you know, air or shirt or something instead of rapid. Now, the flip side of that is you also saw some ridiculous uh, targeting penalties there where, you know, guys trying to, and I'm, I'm thinking specifically of, of, uh, um, the Jack Sawyer ejection, you know, it looked to mm -hmm. me like he was trying to get low to wrap a guy up and tackle him properly. And as we've seen him many, many, many times, the ball carrier drops his head and it ends up as a targeting penalty. So I, you know, I, I, I get there's some challenges there in, in trying to do the, the, the proper rugby tackle in this modern age of, of uh, targeting and ejections and so on. But I, I was interested to see, I mean, how, how surprising was it that that defense went from as bad as they looked. I mean, I was the guy on Twitter saying, burn it to the ground uh, <laughs> at the end of the first half, fire them all in the locker room after the game uh, to watching them hold those guys to three yards to carry uh, 139 total yards in the second half. That just, that just blew me away. How'd they get that done? I, I mean, I guess tomorrow McCall has got the secret sauce and no, I mean, it, Part of it was is that I think Utah probably threw everything that they had at them in the first half, so maybe there wasn't a whole lot new that they could really bring to the table. 
Um, you know, Utah was really relying on their quarterback to just make as many plays as humanly possible. And he started to not make as many. And, you know, that's kind of, that's, that's where they started to run out. I think Ohio state played a lot more aggressively on defense in the second half too. I mean, the guys were just kind of getting after line of scrimmage. They weren't playing tentatively as much. And they kind of just, I, I really do feel like they kind of threw their heads, hands up in the air and said, screw it. Right. We're just going to attack the line of scrimmage. And if they throw over our heads and they throw over our heads and that's fine. And they made that deal and it, for the most part, it, it worked out pretty well. They, I think they put a lot more pressure on the second half because of that. They were willing to just kind of go with it with abandon. And um, a lot of it is a mentality thing, uh, but I don't think they schemed anything up to, to specifically stop, you know, rising or anything like that. Um, I think it was just kind of a, a mental thing where they, they just played a little bit more aggressively and it worked out better, but, and that's what you want to see. And that's what they're definitely capable of. Even a skeleton crew, you know, with a bunch of guys playing in weird positions, they still were able to, um, you know, to get things done when they had to and and got just enough stops to win the game. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some names that, that jumped out, you know, Teron Vincent had a great game um you know zach harrison did did pretty well you know it's interesting we still didn't see much in the way of sacks there was there was the one the one sack course on rising that also led to him leaving the game mm-hmm. um and and you know that was a clean hit it just was one of those where his head i mean really bounced it looked terrible yeah bounced off the turf <clears throat> uh but you know you saw some individual guys step tommy eichenberg yeah, 17 uh, tackles it's really low. really stepped up that was a name you probably didn't have on your dance card as a defensive player of the game type of guy. Um, the other one that I want to mention, if nothing else, uh, for longtime listener Bryant, uh, who we, we have this running gag going on Twitter, and it's not really a gag, but all of Ohio State's linebackers are going to be converting running backs or tight ends before this <laughs> right. is all said and done with Kate Stover moved. And I guess we should say back to linebacker from tight end because he was a guy I think originally recruited to play defense and mm-hmm. had a really great uh a really great game six tackles and 46 snaps he was super aggressive which was great um and and certainly deserved a, a shout out what's it say about the state of recruiting and development in the linebacker room that you you've got Stover uh, and Steel Chambers is maybe the two best linebackers on the team. And then also, you know, Ohio State's bringing in uh, Diamante Trayanum <laughs> running back mm-hmm. from, from uh, Arizona State who's going to play linebacker. Like, what well, we going to the linebacker. Right? Yeah, I think it says something about talent evaluation and maybe development as well, because that's those aren't ideal situations. You would hope that. That's not uh, not the the moves that you have to make to field a functional you know linebacking core, for example, right? So I don't know. It, that's not really what you want to see. And you know they brought in some other guys as well who've tried to make some impact. But it, I think part of it is the COVID year sucks, and that makes everything a little bit more difficult. But if there's any program that's supposed to be able to weather that kind of storm and and be fine regardless it's supposed to be ohio state you're not you're you're not supposed to worry about personnel if you're ohio state and i just think a lot of failure on uh evaluation and and maybe talent development there when that's what you're trying to accomplish so again that's when you're looking at a new defensive coordinator that's that's one of your chief roles that you want him to be able to try you know kind of fix and address immediately but it's not something that can be done quickly it's something that you have to kind of see who your guys are in the spring, especially, and then see who you're bringing in and then really start to focus on 
you know, you got to pick and choose. Who are you going to develop, right? If, if Stover, if Kate Stover is going to be one of your primary defensive guys next season, great. Guess what? He needs to start getting reps to that effect like now, right? As soon as they get back the, get back to them and start doing practices in the spring, you should start planning with that in mind because I don't think that you can screw around and wait until the summer and try to decide who your core defensive linebackers or secondary or whatever are going to be because this is the defense isn't good enough to do that <laughs> so even if you end up picking guys like ah, i wish we could have gone with this guy and said too bad coach up the guys that you're going to pick and then try to make them the best that they can be and then you can start maybe doing some things but right now that the personnel wise it's just too weird and flaky um to to play games i think yeah, this uh, this is going to be a really interesting offseason defensively. We're going to talk about coaching uh, and specifically staff changes later in the program. So I want to don't want to dig too deeply into that now. Uh, so certainly had a had a real had a real uh, positive end to the season in terms of of the defense. Uh, that second half really fantastic. The first half, my God, what a horrible, uh, huge, embarrassing failure. It was, it was really ugly. Uh, <laughs> I look and say, my gosh, 463 yards, total offense, 35 points in the first half alone, 45 total, uh, Ohio state just doesn't cough up 40 plus <laughs> point games regularly. Certainly not in back-to-back efforts that said, man, what a day by Ohio state's offense. We've been yeah. saying all season long, this was one of the best, if not the best, uh, offenses in the country. I, I maintain it's the best offense in the country, um, particularly for how young it is in a lot of phases. And, and you don't have to go any farther than saying you're taking two presumptive first round draft picks off the board in Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and the passing game didn't miss a beat. I think there was some trepidation going into it that you take those two guys off and even as good as Jackson Smith and Jigba was, you were going to be seeing, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. And Julian Fleming as starters really for the first time. There's no way they could be as good as the two guys ahead of them on day one in a Rose bowl game. Like how help, help me put into context just how good it was seeing them step up and really no drop off in production. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, it was historic, right? Like what you were watching was something that just had not ever been done in in a bowl game before. So every time that they dropped back, they, you know, it, it was a possibility of a touchdown and there's a, because they had the two, you know how they had the two different feeds, right. Of the, of the game and you had the normal broadcast feed and yep. then on the other i think on espn2 you had the you know the behind the the sky cam feed and everything i really encourage people to check out and look out some of the highlights of that stuff because i don't know how cj stroud was doing some of the stuff that he was doing it's not just the yards right they i mean the yards by themselves are just bonkers and insane and whatever i mean he's the first ohio state quarterback to throw for over 500 yards in a game should be the second but urban meyer screwed that up thanks urban meyer um, but he threw for what 574 yards, I think, Five, which 573. is yeah, so almost 600 yards, which is uh, makes no sense. Like, that's that's mind breaking stuff right there. But the six touchdowns, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba basically, you know, for what 300 some yards there. I mean, just everything, everything 
Jackson Smith and Jigba, 347 receiving yards, not only a new Ohio State single game record, the most receiving yards in any bowl game ever. Yeah. The guy caught more yards and more receiving yards than most quarterbacks do passing. Right. Yes. Which, like, that's one of those things where, um, you know, you, you watch the highlights of the game and it almost feels like you're watching highlights of three games because it shouldn't be that much. It should, it should not be this way. And yet it was, that was what was so hilarious and amazing about it is that you're like, okay, he was going to score a touchdown here. And then he did, and you know, maybe he'll score another touch. And he just did. And it was video game stuff that you just don't see in a normal football game. So I really hope people revisit this Rose bowl and just really appreciate that you may never see something like this ever again. Like that was really, for me, the highlight of watching this because you knew that you were watching something historic, not necessarily because it was a Rose bowl, but just because you had two guys so utterly in sync that they could do whatever they wanted against a pretty good, I mean, again, yes, Utah had a depleted secondary, but against a pretty decent team and I just don't know that we'll ever see something like that again. So I, I want people to go back and watch those highlights. I want you to watch that Skycam stuff and really get a feel for what exactly CJ Stroud was doing um, because it doesn't seem like it should be possible. Um, we yeah. were on the CJ Stroud hype train early on. Uh, yeah. And even after, you know, the Oregon loss, even after smart, you know, his worst game of the season, you know, then now this is something to really give you the, give you pause, right? His worst game of the season was Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know that's normally where Ohio State quarterbacks do their stat padding is in those early season out of conference games in state schools and so on max schools and so on uh worst game of the season was in Tulsa was at was uh, versus Tulsa Stroud six touchdowns the most ever for Ohio State in a bowl in a bowl game new Rose Bowl record his 80.4 uh completion percentage the highest ever for Ohio State in a bowl game I, I think you can make an argument, uh, and I don't think it's really going out on a limb, that Stroud had the best season, uh, the best single season of an Ohio State quarterback ever. Uh, and if you don't want to go that far, uh, then you could say, okay, the, the best season ever to not win a national championship if you want to put a qualifier on it. But but my guy threw for uh, six touchdowns in one, two, two different games, five or more touchdowns in one, two, three, four, five games four or more touchdowns in what, five, six, seven, seven, eight games. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I don't, you know, he passed for passed for nearly 600 yards in the Rose bowl and, and had uh 400 plus yards in one, two, three, four other games. Like this is, these are eye popping stats uh, and is, is efficiency. No, that was the other thing you completed 80% of your pass, 80% of your passes in the Rose bowl against yeah. the top 10 opponent. Like that's crazy. Uh, I just, you know, I've, I've been on the hype train all along, I guess, and have been, even when people were, were saying, oh gosh, time to move on. Let's bring on, bring on Quinn yours, you know, back in September, October. Uh, but I, but- I think he really, if you are, if you are sitting here doing any kind of well, actually about CJ Stroud after, after this game, um, I don't know what sport you're watching. Yeah. And, and like, by the way, I want to, I want to go back to Quinn yours real quick. Because I would love it if you would just come out and say, you know, I transferred because there's no way I was going to play. <laughs> I would appreciate that. You know what I mean? I would love it if he came out and was like, you know what? 
no way in hell was I going to beat this dude out because he, he's just not that, and not that he's bad. I would, I would say like, look, I have all the confidence in the world of my abilities. I think I'm a very good quarterback. I think I'll be great. CJ Stroud is the starter for a reason. And it would be very, very difficult to take those reins away from him. I would appreciate him saying that because then maybe some Ohio state fans would understand and, and kind of recognize what they just saw. Yeah, as but far I mean, as like, I, I, I don't think he has to say that for, for it to be understood uh, be, because think about this. He may end up being as good. He may end up being better than Stroud. I don't know. But to me, the only way you're benching CJ Stroud for somebody behind him on the depth chart is if Stroud's discovered to have a meth lab and three dead bodies <laughs> in his basement. Like right. I just, that's I, what, exactly. That's exactly you, what I'm saying. You can't, you can't have the season. The guy just had. And, and what, like, if you watch this season and then want a different quarterback, I, I got, I got nothing for you to me, that guy, uh, he did everything he needed to do. And then some, and, and to do it as a first year starter, uh, as a freshman to come in and, and the growth that you saw from week one to the Rose bowl. Uh, I mean, look at the reads he made, you know, look at, he made all these smart decisions. Yeah, he had a pick. That wasn't a great throw. You don't throw back across your body into the middle of the field. Fine, fine, fine. But by and large, and the throws he made, those ones you're talking about, when you go back and look at the sky cam, you, you watch this, you're like, man, that's like pro bowler type yeah. passes. That's not, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid passes. And I do think it's it's maybe, I mean, you kind of said this. I think it's interesting to try to put this season up historically against other ones because, it, you know, Ohio State doesn't go to the playoff and they don't win the Big Ten championship. So because of that, people may look at it in a different light or, or maybe not want to say like, oh, okay, well, this is the best ever because that's what we do. We contextualize performances, individual performances and uh, how a team did, which isn't always the, the right thing to do, I think. Um, and, you know, the other comparison that somebody might make, at least statistically is between what Dwayne Haskins did, right. Where he passed for, you know, 4,800 yards and, and 50 touchdowns and things like that. But here's the thing. Dwayne Haskins did that, I think, in 14 games, right? Ohio State uh, in 2018, or excuse me, uh, well, 2018, 2019, I guess if you count the Rose Bowl. Well, they got 14 games under their belt. Uh, C.J. Stroud, what, played 12 this season? Yep. And still passed for 4,400? So in two fewer games, yeah, he had fewer yards, but I think if he had the full slate that Haskins had, uh, he probably hits that record easily. Uh, in terms of passing yardage and, and maybe exceeds the touchdowns as well. Um, better, you know, better passer rating, fewer interceptions, uh, better completion percentage. Uh, you know, again, I guess in terms of talent, if we talk about that in Ohio state, you know, Justin Fields is really considered to be the gold standard here just yes, because we know right. what he was capable of, but I, statistically this is kind of bonkers what he was able to do. Um, and kind of a, in some ways, in kind of a similar situation as Dwayne Haskins, where the running game isn't as great as you would have hoped it would have been. Um, you know, I, I kind of was hoping one of the things I was looking for in the Rose Bowl was Henderson to come out and have a really good game, and he, he didn't. Um, the Rose Bowl, uh, or excuse me, the running game uh, kind of stagnated a little bit against Utah. And again, it was number seven trying to pull you know, their butts out of the fire, and he did by being brilliant. It's um, interesting, you know, going back and not that last year, last year was a terrible comparison because of COVID and the shortened schedule and so on. But if you just look at the averages, you know, Fields completed 70.2% of his passes on the season. 
Stroud's at 71.9%. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, that's, yeah, it's pretty great. Fields had six picks last year, uh, in a shortened schedule. Stroud had six picks, you know, with a full schedule this season. It's pretty great. Um, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, impressed there. Uh, Fields gave up 21 sacks to Stroud's 13 kudos to the offensive line. They were terrible in run blocking. It seemed like, but, mm-hmm. uh, exceptional at pass protection. I guess if I got to pick my poison, maybe that's the way to go. Uh, overall rating fields last year, 175.6, according to ESPN.com uh, and, and Stroud 185.6. So, I mean, I think if you're comparing him to fields as, as the standard bearer, and if you want to go back to a full season in 19, you could do that. Um, fields 19 season, uh, 2,953 yards to Stroud's 4435. Now the difference there obviously is fields ran for 471 over the course of the season. Um, Stroud ran the ball, you know, very sparingly has been, as has been lamented by many, a, a fan, but by golly, did you see it? He got a first down with his legs. Yeah. Saturday. That's how I knew Ohio state was going to win the game. That was the moment the tide shifted right there. Yeah. I mean, I said to my wife, my God, he ran. <laughs> we were, we were kind of laughing about it, but I, I, I agree with you. Like fields is generally accepted to be by fans. I think to be the best to do it uh, at Ohio state. And I'm looking and saying, man, Stroud's first season compares pretty darn favorably. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, and, you know, given that he was a redshirt freshman, you've got some time with this guy and, and Ohio state fans are really lucky that he's going to continue to be there. And here's the other thing. Last thought on CJ Stroud. A lot of people, you know, the guy's a Heisman finalist and it's kind of an afterthought in the Heisman voting. And I think oh, a lot of it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it I think is because they're like, Oh, well, he's just a product of having, Alave and and you know Garrett Wilson to throw to. I mean, who wouldn't be great? Well, guess what, guys? It maybe maybe those guys are really good, but maybe they look a little bit better because they had C.J. Stroud throwing to them, right? Maybe they had a quarterback who was able to throw them open and do some things that allowed them to be great, just as much as they allowed him to be great. So obviously, I mean, the proof is in the pudding, right? You see this. You see this in the Rose Bowl where he's passing for almost 600 yards. But I, I do think that he did not get the credit he deserved nationally. And, and maybe this will make some people wake up to the fact that, you know, he's just as capable as making people great as uh, as vice versa. Now, to your to your point, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba's 347 receiving yards, a new uh, Ohio State single game record. I think I mentioned that earlier. Most receiving yards in any bowl game ever. So JSN was right there with Olave and and Wilson. And, you know, to me, JSN should have been your Bolitnikov award winner. I think the things that he did all season long um, were just incredible. Uh, his 15 receptions tie his own single game receptions record, which he set against Nebraska this season. Uh, and he finished the year with 1,606 yards, breaking Ohio State's single-season receiving yards record previously held by David Boston. That's pretty great company to be in. But then, you know, to your point about, hey, maybe Stroud is setting his receivers up for mm-hmm. great success. Look at Marvin Harrison Jr. scoring the first three <laughs> touchdowns of his career yeah. in the Rose Bowl, right? I, I mean, th- th- there's a guy that, you know, he really hadn't done anything this season. He'd been out there, you know, this wasn't the first game he's played in by any stretch. Um, but he and sophomore Julian Fleming started at the outside receiver positions in place of Olave and Wilson. And as I said earlier, you know, the offense didn't skip a beat and that's no. to me a credit to the leadership there. And Oh, by the way, and we've said this before, uh, Brian Hartline, man. Yeah. Did something else. 
And, you know, a guy, Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a great example of that because he did come in pretty cold and it was not a featured wide receiver for a lot of reasons. And I think, I mean, he looked kind of, he looked kind of assy at the beginning of the game. He got blown up on, on one, like kind of block, I think he was trying to do. And uh, just maybe a guy looked a little out of sorts uh, and then catches three touchdowns in six passes overall. Every other, every other catch was a touchdown. So look, there are a lot of things that Ohio state has to work on in the off season. And that's why I'm not all in on them for 2022, but I am all in on CJ Stroud's ability to throw the ball to some really great wide receivers who are already on the team. And I don't, you know, I don't think they'll miss too many beats in the passing game when it comes to uh, replacing guys like Wilson Olave. And again, nothing against those dudes who are bona fide first rounders and incredible. It's just that that wide receiver room is just that loaded. And, you know, Oh, by the way, you're returning your, your leading wide receiver from 2021. Right. So like it's not really something that you have to have too much to cry about. One of the things that uh, you're talking about the off season and, and where Ohio state goes from the Rose bowl into its 2022 campaign. I think you, you see CJ Stroud as the Heisman front runner in, in my mind, um, you know, after what he did this season. And, and even though it felt like he was an afterthought that Rose bowl, I mean, what a statement game. Uh, but, but I, I'm concerned about the running game. So I want to talk about that for a minute. We didn't see much sure. of it uh, in, in this game. If you look at the total, Ohio State rushed for just 110 yards total, uh, averaged 5.5 yards per carry. Okay, that's not, that's not hateful, I guess. Uh, Utah, pretty good running team, rushed for 226 yards total and 5.1 yards a carry, largely thanks to Ohio State's exceptional run-stuffing ability in the second half. In the first half, they were popping off to 6.6 yards a carry. But Ohio State, you know, late in the season in particular, seemed like it couldn't run the ball anymore. After Travion Henderson had an incredible early season, was freshman of the week a couple times, I think, in the conference. What, what do you think was the issue here? Is, is, this, is this a thing where Ohio State's – all tackle lineup was so good at pass protection that they just couldn't get enough leverage to run block worth a nickel. Cause they were all seven feet tall. Is this, mm-hmm. is this a thing where Ohio state's running by running back by committee approach at times during the year, just didn't let Henderson get his, his chops. I, what do you, what do you think's going on here? Cause it was really frustrating early on watching yeah. get trot Henderson out there and have him just get slammed into the back of the line <clears throat> and not be able to go anywhere. I think, I think a couple of things are happening. One, I, I don't think the offensive line is, is getting enough push. I think that's that's part of it. The other thing, though, is I think Henderson just does not do super well yet in identifying holes when he's asked to run up the middle. When he's doing, you know, like a pulling guard player, you know, guard in quotation marks, obviously, for the Rose Bowl. But when he's doing those kind of things, sometimes he gets lost in the wash and runs into guys, gets hit, I think, well before he should. When they can get him into space, when he's doing, like, maybe get on the edges or maybe a little flare pass or whatever, he's so fast that he can pick up seven or eight yards, even on a busted play, and he's always a threat to score. I just think the trouble is is when they try to run him up the gut, and he just he's trying to – I don't think that he's dancing around too much. I just think he's picking the wrong spots. And he's been really inconsistent 
in 2021 he had some games where you know against Tulsa where it's almost 300 yards right and all, over 11 and a half yards a carry against Akron and you know all this other stuff uh, and Penn State you know he had 150 plus yards but still it took him 28 carries to get there next week 4.4 per carry does great against Purdue and Michigan State at over seven per carry and then against Michigan and Utah you know under five per carry so it, it's been an up and down season um Part of it, though, is consistency, and, and that's just – for a running back, for a featured running back, if you're talking about, like, the running back by committee stuff, I think that is difficult sometimes for a running back to handle. You want to be able to have a certain amount of reps to make sure that you're doing okay and, and you kind of get in the rhythm of a game. But on, honestly, especially towards the second half of the season, I think he got those reps. I think Henderson, with the exception of the Michigan State game, where it was just a blowout and nobody was playing that much, um, I think Henderson got the reps that he needed. I just think he needs to improve. I think he needs to get better in the offseason. And he's got all the talent in the world, but talent alone is not a running back make. You've got to be really smart about – when to follow your blocks, when to be patient, when to be aggressive, where to, you know, kind of improvise a little bit. And to me, it felt like he was just kind of running into a wall way too often. Part of that's on the offensive line, right? They got to get more push. They've got to open up holes for him. But part of that's on him also to kind of be more instinctual as a runner, which right now it doesn't look like he is that quite yet. There were a couple times, you know, Chop, uh, Mayan Williams, that is, uh, was out there and you he know, looked had better. A, I, I mean, I thought he looked better than Henderson in the in the Rose Bowl, frankly. I mean, this the the stats were kind of interesting because because I that was how I thought too, and you know, I think part of it was he had that one nifty little run for eight and a half yards. I think yeah. maybe got a first down, something like that, and. uh uh, sorry, sorry, it was a, it was a first down. It was ten yards. Sorry, his average. Was yeah, and Williams half. only. I mean, granted, he only ran it a couple of times. It was only he, two, it was only two carries. Yeah, that's, but he looked much more decisive than. Trey isn't isn't that funny? You know how just two carries, and you and I both had the same reaction. That oh, man, maybe I, I mean I was sitting there thinking like God, they ought to run chop more. Yeah. Um. Than than Henderson and I and I I mean I do think Henderson's going to be the better back, mm-hmm. but but and maybe it's what you're saying that he's just he needs more time in the oven. Uh, to get it together. One thing is for sure, Ohio State's going to be down one running back uh, after this season. Master Teague the third, uh, announcing on Monday evening that he is entering the 2022 NFL draft after four years with the Buckeyes. Uh, two things about this one, you know, it was pretty clear that he was option number three this season behind both Henderson and, and Williams. And, and two, man, is there, is there a more likable guy uh, out there than, than master Teague? I think uh, yeah. unanimous that he is uh, one of the, the, those guys who's uh, all American as a human being, I was surprised. And I, I wonder if you feel the same way that he didn't look at the transfer route, you know, maybe go and get one year in somewhere where he could be the feature back because mm-hmm. he would start a whole lot of places other than Ohio state. Um, were you surprised that he's just going to test the waters and not maybe give it a go somewhere else? Well, this may be a situation where the guy's like, you know what? I've, I think I've done pretty much all I can do at this point. And, and yeah, he could start from square one and work as well. I, I don't know. I, I feel like for him, he just is saying it's either this or not, you know what I mean? And I can understand that, especially if you're a running back there's a certain amount of wear and tear that you're willing to kind of put up with and and deal with. And I totally understand if he's kind of at the point where he's like, if it works out great, if it doesn't, you know what, I'll be fine either way. Cause you're right. He is a fantastic human being 
And uh, that guy's going to be successful no matter what he ends up doing. I'm really curious to see how scouts look at him. I mean, I think you've got enough game tape. He certainly got, you know, you know, the NFL combine is, is basically, you know, miss America for sure. Sweaty draft scouts. Uh, So I, I think he'll do extremely well there. His measurables are going to be good. He certainly got the, the body that the scouts uh, drool about dude clearly hasn't skipped a day in the weight room and, and he can go and knock the holy living Dickens out of some people and get you a few yards, get you into the end zone. But at the same time, he didn't have a full season as a feature back, you know, here right before going into the draft process. So I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to see what his evaluations come back. Like if, if, you know, a pro day gets him some, some look, he's got plenty of tread on the tires. That's the one thing that you can say, you know, it's not like he's been run. Uh, he's not an Alabama running back has been run, you know, 50 times uh, a game for two years. And he's going to go in and, and bust a tire on you in the first couple of seasons of a contract. So maybe, maybe they'll take a flyer on him. Uh, do you think that just left alone? I know a lot of people I, I see commenting either on our stories on the site or on social media worry, uh, or at least express the concern that with the sort of like passing acquaintance with the running game and an abysmal defense that Ryan day has turned Ohio state's program into, you know, in essence, either an air raid or a big 12 type mm-hmm. program. It's, you, you know, think- a couple of years ago, we're like, you know what? Mike Lee should be really sick at Ohio state. That'd be <laughs> hilarious. Well, guess what? We got it. Got the better version. Finally happened. Hopefully. (laughs) Do you, I mean, but do you think that Ohio State's running game gets its mojo next year? Does there need to be some kind of structural changes? I think, I think they'll be better. I think they'll be better on, on the running game. I think they'll do better. It's just, that's another one of those things where it's just part of its mentality, part of its reps, but I think they'll be better. There will probably be an increased influence on it and uh, they'll have some time to actually, again, it's so weird with the last couple of years. um, But uh, I, I don't believe that with the talent they have, they know who they have in Henderson. uh, It would be dumb not to get better. (laughs) And I would probably put a ton of money on them saying that they would be more consistent than this year. Uh, And the thing, here's the other thing about Henderson he's so good catching the ball out of the backfield right that you don't want defenses to just key on that anytime he splits out wide or whatever you don't want them you don't want defenses to go well he's not going to run the ball because we don't that's not a threat right like you don't want defenses to key on that and take that weapon away so you've got to make sure that the running game works and that you have to account for multiple things that he can do in that regard so i i think not to get better not to to make that a threat would be really stupid and ultimately hurt the offense overall Mm -hmm. um, in the passing game as well. So I got to believe that they'll put a renewed emphasis on that and I believe that they'll fix it. Yeah. And, you know, of course um, I started this conversation with talking about Teague being on the way out, but you still have an order of their seniority um, in, in terms of how long they've been with the program. You got Marcus Crowley, Mm-hmm. Lion, just call me Chop Williams, Travion oh, Henderson, yeah. and Evan Pryor, and then Dallin Hayden coming in in the class of 2022. So you've got plenty of talent in the room, no, no question about that. Uh, the other one I, I think will be really interested will be to see how the offensive line shakes out next year. You're you're bringing back a lot of parts, but you're losing Thayer Munford, uh, Nicholas Petitfrere. Uh, both have been pretty vital 
pieces of the puzzle. There certainly will be some reshuffling next year to fill those those pieces of the puzzle. Um, but yeah, a lot to a lot to think about in terms of how the running game comes together next year. All right, let's listen to uh, the people, our people, the listeners, because we're going to segue before we get into basketball, which I really want to spend some time about uh, tonight because there was a fun game on over the weekend, Ohio State finally back from its extended COVID forced pause. So let's do Ask Us Anything, one of our favorite segments of the program, a good time to remind you that Ask Us Anything is brought to you like the whole Dubcast by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. Hats, t-shirts, stickers, there's lots of new stuff in there. If you haven't been to the Dry Goods Store in a minute, you need to go check it out. Um, some very cool, Ramsey was uh, promoting some new uh, situational specific merch. So if you're a bourbon yes. fan like I am, and you love that weekly trip down uh, bourbon fuel uh, lane of esoteria and great music, you should by all means go to drygoods.11warriors.com and check out the new merch. Lots of good stuff there. Johnny, what's in the mailbag this week? So as a reminder, you can send us questions to dubcast at 11warriors.com or hit us up on Twitter at 11dubcast. Um, so we've got some really good questions here. This is uh, from Matt here. Uh, so RE uh, offensive players playing defense and vice versa. Our favorite uh, topic on the show. of late. Yeah, people love that one. <laughs> uh, didn't Coach Trestle do this with regularity and practice for funsies? I want to say like every Wednesday they did it. It's actually how they decided to use Chris Campbell on defense after he absolutely blanketed Mike Doss. I had not heard that i don't remember that uh but it's interesting that that feels like a very trestle thing to do you know (laughs) what i mean and he would and he would frame it he would it seems like that's something he would frame in the way of like okay you gotta walk a mile in someone else's shoes you know (laughs) this is what they go through which is funny and also you know definitely something that he would he would do but uh i i'm i'm here for it i endorse it and plus i want to see video footage of like you know their munford trying to run the ball or run a route or something like that i don't know that's the kind of thing i want to see i i loved i'm sure there's a i'm sure there's footage out there of kirk barton like trying to you know attempt to pass and it just goes straight down to the ground in front of him yeah man and and uh i it's this this whole conversation has just become hilarious it's like our ongoing twitter discussion with bryant uh about these these players moving over from running back and tight end to becoming you know linebackers and god i hope they all become all conference linebackers because that'll mean that ohio state's defensive problems have been solved next season Mm -hmm. Uh, you know chris gamble man what a fun what a fun story played in all three phases of the game uh in in that 2002 national championship game but shout out to the dude from iowa and his name totally escaped me but the guy who was playing cornerback and uh and receiver running back, whichever he was playing there. Uh, that, oh, that, was, yeah. that was fun. You don't see too many uh, guys playing Iron Man ball anymore. And no. you know, granted, Utah's secondary, eh, pretty depleted. Um, and Ohio State's passing game certainly feasted because of it, or at least in part uh, because of it. But um, yeah, I I had not heard that story about Trestle either, but my gosh, that would be one more. That's one of those things, you know, speaking of confirmation bias, like that's one of those things that you hear the story and you're like, yeah, that feels too right to not be true. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> whether whether it is or not, it just yeah. feels too right not to be true. Yeah. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That would be something I think that I would love to believe because it sounds so great. Um, so next question here is from a good friend, Alvin, who wants to know, is it possible the next year Ohio state has the best quarterback running back and wide receiver going into 2022 football? Um, 
I'm okay. Well, I'm on board with best quarterback. I'm on board with best wide receiver. How do you feel about running back? Yeah. I mean, that would be the obvious question mark to me because I don't think the other two are really any question uh, in, yeah. in my mind. I think CJ Stroud, as I alluded to earlier, is going to be your Heisman front runner after his performance at the Rose Bowl. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigma, I already thought was maybe the best receiver on the team, even ahead of Garrett Wilson. I mean, like, I think you could argue whether or not Wilson or JSN was the, was the better player this season. I think you could make competent arguments either way either way for my money jsn should have been your bullet in the cough winner um but you know when you when you look at it going in it, he's clear clearly the, the the top receiver in the in the country going into the season in my mind so running backs the only question i think henderson has the wherewithal to be the the best running back but you know the way the running game looked the last uh two games in particular but really i mean the last the the, the last kind of third of the season yeah. uh, it, it just wasn't the same rushing attack we saw early on and maybe that's not his fault maybe it is maybe it was the, the, the aforementioned problems we talked about with uh the run blocking I, I don't know maybe it was play calling maybe it was just we played a lot of defenses that couldn't that that couldn't uh stop the pass worth a nickel but man they were really good at stuff in the run. I, I don't i don't know but there's there, that would be the question to me it's certainly possible and i'd love to be sitting here and having this conversation a year from now and, and looking back and saying, man, they sure did. They had the best player at all three positions. Cause that tells me you're, you're competing for a national championship. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be wild, but I, yeah, I'd the, say two out of three for sure. And the third, yeah. yeah, maybe. Well, and it's part of it that helps in this question. Part of it, what helps, uh, Henderson is that there are a lot of really great running backs in America who just aren't going to be back next season. Um, so a lot of the guys that you might, you know, sensibly put in front of them, you're like, oh, okay, well, they're not going to be playing football in 2022. I mean, so, um, or at least at the college level, at least, you know, what I found really interesting. So I was kind of going through the stats and whatnot. All right. So we've got, all right, here's player a, okay. I'll give you, I'll do the old player a and player B. Oh thing, boy. Okay? This is tough. Okay. It's, it's actually not it, it, because <laughs> here's the <laughs> player a, all right. Player a, uh, played in 12 games. Okay. Um, had 186 uh, rushing attempts, 1,268 yards for 6.82 yards per carry. Player B uh, played in 13 games, had 184 rushing attempts, 1,255 yards, 6.82 yards per carry. Okay. <laughs> Basically functionally identical. I mean, yeah, we're talking say, about. That's pretty close. Yes. I mean, exactly the same amount of yards per carry. 13 or yeah, I guess 13 yards difference uh two extra carries for one it doesn't matter who is who i'm just going to tell you that's braylon allen at wisconsin then Travion henderson at ohio state yeah uh, both of whom were freshman running backs in 2021 there are a lot of really talented young running backs in the united states and you know people will look at b john robinson obviously is you know a, another big name for that although you know i think he had a pretty up and down year as well um I think he's in the conversation and, and if he performs the way that he did, um, you know, in the first half of the season in 20, I mean, it's a lock, right. But you got to make sure that you have that kind of consistency, but as for the other, other parts of that equation, uh, yeah, I, I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of debate, at least at the beginning of the season that they're returning the best quarterback and wide receiver in the United States. If I look at the, uh, the stat book at NCAA.com, you know, Travion Henderson clocks in, 23 in the country in terms of rushing yards uh, with his 1248 you mentioned and 
you know, yeah, Bra- Braylon uh, Allen, you talked about, but man, you're right. As I look at the young, at the young running backs, you know, Lou Nichols was the the, the top rusher in the country at Central Michigan. He's a freshman. Abram Smith at Baylor was a senior, yeah, junior, senior, senior. But then, yeah, uh, the cat at BYU ran for 1,600 yards. Kid at Syracuse that ran for 1,500 yards, both sophomores. Um, kid at Marshall that ran for 1,400 yards, was a freshman. So there's a, yeah, there's a lot. And, and you look at big name backs, um, you're at backs at big name programs. You, you definitely had a number of freshmen and sophomores who, who were in that mix. Um, in terms of production, you know, that was an interesting one looking at touchdowns. Um, that's the, your, your top three, um, players in the country in terms of rushing touchdown scored, uh, were all underclassmen, uh, 23 touchdowns for the, um, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, Tyler Algier, maybe I don't know, Algier. I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, but BYU sophomore who, in 13 games ran for 23 touchdowns yeah. uh, tied with um, a freshman from Marshall, 23 touchdowns on the season. Utah's Tavion Thomas was a sophomore with 21 touchdowns mm-hmm. um, uh, on the season. So, you know, your, your point about there being a lot of young backs with a lot of production who are coming back, uh, I think is, is valid. No question in my mind about quarterback and wide receiver though. Yeah, absolutely. So thanks for sending those questions in. Uh, those are excellent and we'll keep answering them. All right, let's go back to Ohio State-specific news as we finish this thing out. Ohio State got back to basketball. It was it was, it was was time. Uh, while it was nice, I guess, to be able to focus on uh, football and football in specific, you know, that, that period between, oh, let's say November 15th or so and, and New Year's Day just gets really frantic because you've got uh, football, basketball, and wrestling all happening at the same time. Those are kind of my, my big three, I guess. Uh, but you had Ohio State's basketball program basically off the last two weeks of the year because of COVID. Uh, Ohio State's wrestling program had its first duel of the year canceled Monday night, uh, the, the duel of the new year, that is, not the season. Um, <laughs> they uh, had it canceled due to the snowfall in our nation's capital. We're scheduled to wrestle at, uh, at American university on Monday night, but Ohio state finally got to play basketball on Sunday at Nebraska. And that ended up being a, a, a fun game down the stretch. This was one that I think, you know, had me concerned, not that Nebraska is, is Duke by any stretch, but after essentially a three week layoff, not being able to practice, uh, being, having a bunch of guys sick, I, I was really concerned that that pause was going to fuel the dreaded January slump. And mm-hmm. indeed Ohio state had an eight point lead at something like three different points during the ball game and let it slip away all three times before ultimately coming back to tie it up in regulation and win convincingly in overtime. Uh, what, 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 what did you, uh, think about the game and how are you feeling about Buckeye basketball now coming into conference play? Well, I mean, layoff like that is, I mean, that's, that's pretty unprecedented, right? So to figure out how to come back from that and then hit the ground running, you, you could tell there was some, there was some sluggishness. There was some difficulty with guys, especially like with Zed and, and uh, EJ getting kind of into a rhythm. Uh, but on the other hand, when you have a performance like you got out of some other players, uh, it, it picks the rest of the team up and yeah, you had to go in overtime, uh, to beat a team on the road. Uh, but Malachi Branham 
kind of just showed out and was incredible. And uh, that's the kind of plays that you need when you're in a weird situation like this. You had a guy just absolutely blow up and it, it worked out in the end. So that was it was, I think, a frustrating game, at least in the sense that you kind of hope that they would be able to emerge from, uh, you know, their their cave and you know react like they're they're coming out of plato's cave and they're seeing you know what the real world looks like for the first time you know a month uh you want to be able to see that they uh they're hitting the ground running but in lieu of that when you've got a guy dropping a 35 spot uh, you know you can take that as well i'm cool with that branham channeling his inner lebron james 35 points on a 13 and 19 shooting night the the kid was electric ended up being your your Big Ten freshman of the week. I thought there was a case for him to be your Big Ten player of the week. Uh, he really put the team on his back at key points during the night. And, and you know, Ohio State fans were excited about him from the time he committed to the program and with good reason. But he hadn't really done anything so far, you know, and in his, uh, his minutes on the floor have been uh, ones where he wasn't just like super productive, didn't come on the scene and, and take over. But he sure did at Nebraska, and the team needed him a big way because there were periods of the night where it felt like EJ Liddell couldn't hit the ocean. Liddell did uh, do what needed to be done late, in particular by tying up the game in regulation with two clutch free throws in the waning seconds uh, to to put Ohio State in position to go into overtime, and then um, you know came up clutch in overtime as well with uh, a key block late and two more free throws. So that, that was great. You know, you, you clearly still look at EJ as the straw that stirs the drink, but having a guy like Branham, uh, coming on this early in his tenure, that, that gives me a lot of excitement about what this team can do this season. And, you know, that, that Ohio state's got a guy in Branham that's going to be here for a couple of years doing, uh, exciting things before he goes off as a lottery pick, you know, because he's, uh, his upside is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, well, and that's and you can say that luckily for a lot of guys on the team. Um, I agree with you though. Like, it's it's been it's been fun to watch uh, this season just because <clears throat> I think that um, you know every year we want to see what Holtman and company are going to be able to pull out of their hat and make a run in the playoffs and all that, or in the in March Madness and all that, and you want to look to guys who are like, okay, this is the guy who's going to get your shot, or this is the guy who's going to, uh, you know, I don't know, be, play lockdown defense in a critical moment. And sometimes you don't know really who you can count on uh, in the past years with Holtman. Like there are certain guys who are like, okay, this, you've got, you know, a couple guys who you can definitely count on for points and things like that. But top to bottom, you don't know who necessarily is going to make a play. And to see players like that emerge, um, especially kind of in the middle of the season. That's, that's cool to see. I like that a lot. I, one of the things that you know, I, I was thinking about watching that game, you know, Holtman has done a great job working the transfer portal portal, uh, bringing in some key parts and, and Jamari Wheeler's a great example of that because Wheeler was a huge mm-hmm. part of the reason Ohio state won that game. Uh, they, they needed him not only his defense, but you know, he he stroked some threes at some critical points, particularly in overtime. Uh, he splashed one early in the bonus period that just, uh, I think, really broke it open for Ohio State, and they never really looked back and, and like I say, won convincingly late. But there was a great example where 
you know, the two guys uh, who, who really carried the team, Branham illustrating how well Holtman has done recruiting and then Wheeler illustrating how well he's worked the transfer portal. I, I feel like, you know, his roster construction, um, there's been times during the tenure where you could look and say, hmm, I don't love that, but he's, he's really done a nice job of putting together a roster here where you have guys who play specific roles and are comfortable playing in those roles and understand this is what I need to do for this team to be successful. And, and I feel like this team really maybe has bought into that better than any of Holtman's team so far and, and maybe has, um, has a lot more ceiling yet because of that. I'm, I'm yeah. excited to see how they perform here. They've been in some close ones and, and the uh, commentators in the post-game interview asked Branham about that, you know, if they felt comfortable um, in this because they'd been in these close games before and, and he acknowledged that, that, yeah, this isn't our first rodeo, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Last thing, let's move on um, from basketball to a, a couple of pieces of coaching news. Matt Barnes officially hired as uh, Memphis defensive coordinator so we've answered the question of who's going to go to make room for jim Knowles. it will mm -hmm. be matt barnes i i don't know how history will regard barnes's tenure as defensive coordinator at ohio state but i guess i i look at the guy pretty favorably for what he was able to do and cobbling together uh at, at least a serviceable defense for most of the regular season and then putting the pieces together in the second half of the rose bowl to to um, allow the offense to come back from a pretty deep hole and, and win the ball game. I, it remains to be seen what the rest of his tenure is like, but I, I I'd say Barnes, you know, earned a shot after what he was able to do from a pretty crappy situation that he inherited three games into the season. Well, I mean, you know, if <laughs> there, there are a lot of worse Ohio state coaches who have gone on to better coaching jobs. So <laughs> You know, they've been Peter Principal up, up the ladder a little bit. So if, if anybody deserves a shot, I mean, go ahead and give Matt Barnes one. Um, I, you know, I don't think he's some kind of like, you know, genius who's going to turn around Memphis's fortunes or anything like that. But um, yeah, go but for we it. Don't, but we don't know that he won't either. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, he's he's kind of a blank canvas to me in a, in yes, a lot of I agree. But I But I got to give him credit for, you know, this is a pretty crappy defense. Um, and I, I think, I think it's not a stretch to say that the Coombs era, Kerry Coombs was a, a disaster as defensive coordinator and, mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of maybe the biggest black mark in my mind in, in Ryan Day's ledger, um, so far and, and God knows Urban Meyer had his share of clunky, bad decision hires. So, so this is not a huge black mark in his book necessarily. If, if the Knowles hire ends up being a good one. Do you expect uh, there to be more coaching changes or, or if I am a fan listening, should I be hoping for or expecting more coaching changes uh, on the defensive side of the ball yet? Or, or is this it? I don't know. I mean, that I, you know what? I honestly think that will be something that Knowles will decide. I, I think that's, I mean, obviously in conjunction with Ryan Dave, but um, a lot of it's going to be that feeling out process. And, and probably some of these guys are going to have to interview for their job again. Uh, to kind of say like, hey, you know, can you fit within the system that I'm trying to bring? And, and I think maybe a guy like Larry Johnson doesn't really have to worry about that too much, but maybe a guy like Al Washington does. So, yeah, um, I, I just have a hard time seeing Washington on the staff, knowing that Knowles throughout his tenure has been predominantly a linebacker's yes, guy. Right. I, I, I just I, I don't see 
how or why that works. Speaking of linebackers to, to cap this thing off before we run too far over our normal, normal time, James Laurinaitis reuniting with his former teammate and BFF Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Uh, the details on what Laurinaitis's role on Freeman's staff are a bit nebulous at time of recording. He said, he's not going to be a position coach. He's not going to be the linebackers coach at Notre Dame. Um, but should Ohio State fans be salty that Ohio State didn't give James Laurinaitis his first coaching opportunity? The the gist of of what I gathered from listening to Laurinaitis on his um, local radio show in Columbus was that you know he's tried to get on board with Ohio State in some sort of staff capacity over the years and just not found an opportunity yet i how I mean, are you feeling about laurenitis going to south bend instead of staying home uh, i mean i know him and marcus are super super tight i mean they're they're best friends and i think that's awesome that he gets to do that um you know james laurenitis i i think he's incredibly intelligent and a really good dude and you want to see a guy like that be at Ohio state forever because you know, you, okay. You got Brian Hartline, but for linebackers, incredible. That would be amazing, but you don't really know that yet. And it's interesting that he's not even, he's like on an advisory kind of role. You know, he's not really going in as like a quote unquote position coach or something like that. Um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to see how this plays out and maybe at some point down the future, you get a chance to get him back but there are all kinds of reasons why maybe the stars didn't align on that. And so I'm not super salty about it. And, and whatever salt I do have is just because I think James Laurinaitis is a super solid guy and very intelligent. Um, but I don't really know what his you know actual coaching chops are. And I guess we'll find out. We'll see what kind of impact he has. And that's where we're going to leave it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens with Laurinaitis. I certainly am excited because I, have the impression that he's one of the the uh, truly good people to come through the program and god knows yeah. what a what a great tenure he had at ohio state and then you know eight or nine years in the pros um, all-time leading tackler for the rams yeah. retired yeah displaced merlin olsen if memory serves as the all-time leading tackler in uh rams history which i i think is incredible because i i remember thinking at the time AJ Hawk retired as the all-time leading tackler in Packers history and Lauren I retired as the all-time leading tackler at Rams history. And it's like, that's kind of wild that, you know, those mm-hmm. guys would, would do that, you know, that close together. Yeah. Uh, but that's where we're going to leave it. It's been a great episode and a, a great season. I think the Rose bowl capped it off on a positive note. If, if uh, playoff or bust is the new normal for Ohio state, a win in the granddaddy of them all is a pretty all right consolation prize in my book. We're going to be back next week to talk about Buckeye basketball. We'll start some of those fun off-season conversations. Maybe a good chance we'll have more coaching news. Who knows? All that and more coming up next week on the 11 Dubcast. Until then, I'm Andy. I'm Johnny. Thanks for joining us.